You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. Well, grand rising and good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Morning Update Show. I'm your co-host, Trey Holiday, and I am joining you from my home studio today. That weather over here in the South King County area had me a little bit stuck, but of course, always a good time because I know my guy, Big O, is looking real nice over there in the studio. What's up, Big O? Good morning, Trey Holiday. You know, it's it's Thursday, so I'm already happy. This is this is my Friday today. And, you know, I mean, it's a good thing, a bad thing. You know, it's unfortunate you're not here in the studio, but at least you're at home, safe, warm, cozy. Yeah, yeah. I'm telling you, we were seeing that snow come down. And I know it's a bit different from um, my Seattleite friends over there because you guys aren't really seeing what we're seeing. So people are like, what? What do you mean snow? Send me pictures. But yeah, uh, it was coming down since early this morning. And I think it's supposed to be letting up maybe on later on this afternoon. But it was Man, it looked, coming down this morning. Is that sunlight out there so much? <laughs> So here, here in downtown Seattle, look, this, the sun is poking through, uh, poking through the windows over here. Great show lined up for everybody today. And, and actually, another reason why I love Thursdays is Throwback Thursday. We got another installment of Throwback Thursday uh, with Stephanie Johnson Tolliver of the Black Heritage Society of Washington State. And, you know, with Medier Brewing opening on, in the Central District and also 23rd Avenue Brewery opening in the Central District. We kind of take a look back at the history of beer halls in our in our legacy neighborhood. Also, we're checking in with Traveling While Black in Seattle. And this week they're going to Deception Pass. But <clears throat> before I get everything going here, Trey, Trey our show, I got to let everybody know it's a bit shorter today. Because, um, you know, we were planning on having a very long discussion with Julia Jesse about, uh, you know, national headlines and uh, about clapback culture was tonight at seven o'clock. But somebody came home. So, yeah, Trey Holly, that happened. Rodney's home. Oh, my goodness. Shout out to Jules and Rodney. This is such huge news. Um, I am over here like holding it down my emotions right now because I'm so ecstatic and so elated for them. You're talking about an amazing black love story. Of course, y'all know that I'm into these stories. Want to make sure that we're always taking the time to uplift black love. Shout out to you, sir. Rodney. Welcome home, Jules. Oh my goodness, much needed time off. I hope that you're really able to embrace him like we just saw there every single moment. This is so huge, man. Shout out to both of them. Wow. Oh, what an amazing start yeah. to today. Yeah, I think you got some new guests for your next installment of uh, Black Love. Absolutely. <laughs> we'll have to make it happen. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, welcome home, Rodney. Let's get this thing going. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Morning Update Show. I want to remind you that right now is the perfect time for you to tag and share the stream. Go ahead and tag and share the stream with people you feel would appreciate culturally relevant news and information emanating from right here in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, I want to give a big shout out to our partners, KBCS 91.3 over at Bellevue College and, of course, the South Seattle Emerald. Reminding everybody that you can listen to the Morning Update show and all of our programming anywhere that you listen to your favorite podcast. We got SoundCloud going in the links over there, but you can also catch the Morning Update show on Google, Spotify, iTunes. All you have to do is search Converge Media Network. It's time to show right here. We share this resource with you, especially for those of you out there in community who might be vaccine hesitant here for us wa.org and, and you know trey you know i was reading more headlines here 
But it's, it's a lot more states that are eyeing, even our state, they're eyeing bringing back the indoor mask mandate. They said they're going to look and see how hospitals are responding right now. But, man, COVID is still out there doing its thing. Yeah, COVID. It really is. And, you know, I'm telling you, this is where people can really utilize those free home tests. I mean, we were talking about the fact that there was uh, four home tests available per household. I think they've changed that. So now you can get tests maybe even monthly. Check out these resources, you guys, because a lot of this stuff is us learning on the fly. And we've learned that already over the last two years. So here for us, WA.org is doing their job to ensure that there's culturally responsive communication out there for the Black community. And and, you know, really for anybody who's looking for it. But we know that there, that hesitancy was well within our communities. We're talking about people who've been vaccinated, not been vaccinated, still catching COVID. Oh, it's real. Yeah. Here for WA, here for us, WA.org. I said uh, culturally curated resources and information for community members who might be vaccine hesitant or they're looking for information about boosters or getting a vaccine or testing. Uh, man, we're staying on message over here with four culture. They're still in the bag. The deadline there is April 20th, April 20th. You want to be able to, uh, you need to apply for that. And you were saying the other day, Trey holiday, what a good opportunity this is for, especially for those in the art space in our community. Yeah, absolutely. For those in the art space. But the great thing about this is, is it goes beyond art. So for if you're a nonprofit organization, that is also some of your work is uh, revolving around preservation or heritage. We know there's a lot of different organizations that are constantly uplifting the culture, the history, uh, particularly in the black community, but in other communities as well. I've been able to really build some connections and relationships with other organizations um, throughout Seattle and King County. This is a really great opportunity for you guys to get involved and ensure that a part of your work gets funded by uh, for culture because you're already doing the work. Showcase to them how you're doing preservation, heritage, and arts projects. Um, and again, any aspiring artists out there, make sure you guys take advantage. we got until next week when that deadline comes up. All right. Big shout out for culture. Appreciate everything you're doing there. Also, this came over from Deal the other day, but I think it's important we continue to to uplift this opportunity here. This is the request for investment. There it is right there for the Department of Education and Early Learning. And basically here it's $100 million altogether. And I think grants up to $75,000 um, for community groups and organizations to be able to provide um, different educational resources for our young people, um, you know, ranging all the way for, I told you yesterday, I'm like, yeah, you know, for, for college preparation and everything else. And so in between the link is there in the comments, again, a great opportunity. And when we talk about the prevention side of things and investing in prevention and community while at the same time investing in education. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that this is really right on time, oh, because we have a lot of groups, organizations and institutions that are gearing up for the summer months uh, for our youth and our scholars. I'm going to tell you right now, it doesn't look like uh, summer months over here um, uh, with all this snow in South King County. But I will say that this is a great opportunity. Get up to that seventy five thousand for a summer program when they're talking about getting college preparedness, readiness, um, helping youth 
youth, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, the, the fact that summer schools now are not as readily available. Some youth need that extra boost to, you know, get them through the next year. Make sure you guys are looking out for this opportunity to invest in programs that you may already have running uh, with regard to how you're going to be connecting and tapping in with those scholars during the summer months. Yeah, good stuff. All right, we got something right here from our partners over at the South Seattle Emerald. We'll put up. This is just what is social housing. Uh, this is by Erica C. Barnett. It's originally published over there in publiccola.com. And it's uh, later this year, Seattle voters could take a first step towards building a new kind of permanently affordable mixed income public housing known as social housing. The House Our Neighbors Coalition, a project of the housing advocacy organization Real Change, we know well, is collecting signatures for Initiative 135, which would create a new public development authority or a PDA to build and operate new housing um, funding for the PDA would come later through future state or local legislation. So this um, goes on to say, how would it work in Seattle? Initiative 135 would achieve a social housing model by creating a public developer to build, acquire, and operate housing that would be funded by state or local revenues, including bonds. This publicly owned housing would be would have would have to be permanently affordable, costing less than 30% of monthly income to a mix of people between 0% and 120% of Seattle's medium income. And um, this is as of last April, that's $81,000 for one person living alone or $115,700 for a family of four. Under the authority's charters, renters cannot be kicked out of if their income rises. Their rent will just rise accordingly. So now, Trey, I know you do a lot of stuff and uh, you work with a lot of groups in the actual development space. And this is a bit different because when we talk about affordable housing right now, <clears throat> excuse me, it's usually... It really is a lot of a lot of hoops in a, in a lot of cases because you got these federal tax dollars that are <clears throat> that are part of the the development. So there's a different criteria there. Or we talk about affordable housing and that some of these new developments, a percentage of it, you know, maybe like 10 percent of the units are affordable. This is actually a public developer who's going and buying land and building housing and building housing for a mix of people across uh, economic categories. Yeah, this is uh, really interesting. Oftentimes when we think about affordable housing, we think about affordable housing coming in and uh, it's really almost like a class issue. They have to look at, well, how do we ensure that residents who are in these brackets of area median income get access to this housing? Oftentimes it's probably between 30 to 60% area median income. You have some affordable housing projects that go up to 80% area median income. What's interesting about social housing and this concept is that it really mixes all of that up into one space. Um, you're talking about having the opportunity for people who make up to 120% area median income um, still receive certain benefits around paying only 30% 
of their income into their rent. Now, this is a concept that I think has taken shape in a wide variety of ways when we talk about uh, differentiation of housing and housing diversity. Uh, so I, I love the fact that there is this is now on the docket. I've been kind of following this along. It's going to be interesting to see how it really plays out with the people because so much of this is about direct marketing. And Omari, you know about this, right? We were involved in the Jackson Heights. Uh, we were involved in LBB, the Liberty Blank Bank Building, in terms of this kind of idea that not only can it just be out there for everybody to take part in, but how are they going to be targeting those other levels of area and median income? It's really an interesting concept. And public development authorities have their own kind of history that gets a little shaky, particularly in the Black community, because um, oftentimes we've we, we found that, you know, historically, hey, how has it benefited um, those who really needed it? But I think with this kind of, you know, hyper focus, you know, they're understanding some of that history and they're pulling that into their approach with social housing. So I think it's a great concept. Ultimately, um, you know, we do need more affordable spaces uh, within the city. I think there's some people out there that question if somebody can afford to live in one of these other buildings, why would they get space in this kind of building? But again, it's to develop a different kind of take on that mix of area median incomes in one space. Believe me, people in this area ain't got no problem not living around poor folks. So <laughs> anybody, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so anybody who's, you know, got an issue with it, like there's, you know, they got they got other options. But I, I think that um with the the numbers that we were talking about in that polling that came out of the chamber of commerce of uh, metropolitan metropolitan chamber of commerce people are saying that homelessness is their number one top of head issue here so it'll be interesting to see if that translates into support for this right here um you know seattle definitely needs more people focused i'll say that developers Right. Yeah. And, you know, somebody's in development business, you know, a lot of times they're in, man, they're in development to make money 100 percent. And that's their passion, their joy, and their make money. And, you know, the focus is right there on the bottom line. And we see that with these, you know, incredibly high rising rents here leading the nation. So, you know, I think the people probably do need their own developer to be in that space. Absolutely. I mean, you're talking about something that really is hitting the nail on the head here, Omari. Uh, you know, for a lot of the things that are initiatives within the city of Seattle in particular, um, you know, housing developers have the opportunity to opt in or opt out. And we've been seeing that some of these for-profit developers have been coming in, building buildings. Their thing is a return on investment, right, for their investors. And so, um, unfortunately, we have a lot of folks that have opted out of providing certain measures for, you know, those who are below area median income to partake in some of the rental units in their spaces. Um, we also see, too, that when, when we're talking about the ways that buildings kind of build class into the building, uh, you know, I've heard from black folks that work in tech, you know, look or work outside of tech, but they just have that money when they are in a predominantly white uh, building. People still look at them like, oh, what are you one of the you know, you, you're getting some type of break to be here. There's still this level of, you know, social construct that yeah. is, you know, is, this is not going to touch that. Right. I mean, cool, this cool, is, cool, you can't yeah. solve for that. But I, I love the yeah. idea of saying, you know what, we're not just going to have spaces that are only for, you know, these types of folks making this type of money 
or for these types. Let's figure out a way to do it in a social way that may provide opportunities for more social harmony. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 a t- <laughs> not to get connected but you know how do they say separate but still kind of related when you talk about that you know i tell people that um that echo used to live right there in the pratt building right and on 18th and in jackson and that's that that building is named in the legacy of edwin pratt Seattle's, I think it's Seattle's only, but Seattle's a civil rights assassination. Edwin Pratt was assassinated. He was the first, him and his family were the first black family to move into what's now Shoreline. And he was shot on his front porch with his children right there in the living room behind him. And so when we hear about Edwin Pratt and Pratt Park and everything else, right? She used to live in the Pratt building and I'd go over there and people be like, oh, yeah, are you Uber Eats? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? DoorDash. Here's this building in our legacy black central district that's named after this black man. And when I show up over there, they're like, oh, are you, are, are you the help? Oh, why are you here? So you're right when you talk about the social construct of the actual buildings. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, and, and uh, you know, I hate that you had that experience. I think it's one of those things that is unfortunate. And, and we talk about this in terms of a lot of different ways to disrupt that ideology and the concepts that really lie behind it. But so much of it um, is, you know, us, I guess, over the last 50 years, been taking baby steps towards it. Racial realism would say we're not taking any steps towards it because there's this constant gap between what is equitable and a lot of folks that are outside of white privilege living in these inequities and in these systems. But you know what? You're, you're right. Um, this is why I think the idea of social housing, again, I mean, when we talk about housing diversity, I think we need it all. So I'm not saying that this is one thing that's better than another. We need it all. We need community rooted housing. Um, we need community owned housing. We need uh, people that are able to do this kind of social construct. We still need the tiny homes. We We still need transitional homes. We still need shelters. It's a full gambit. And so I think that, you know, kind of biting off this chunk around social housing is a great way to mix it up. But the idea is that, you know, not just Seattle, but throughout King County, there's really a homelessness issue. And is this one of the ways that we can utilize uh, to kind of, you know, prevent some of that homelessness or those who are unhoused? I think it maybe can, right? You're talking about people who are at 0% area median income. um, And you don't see a lot of affordable housing projects being able to meet that metric. Yeah. Like we said yesterday, the rent is too damn high. And uh, I've got something else to add on there. I will give a big shout out. Deontay Demper is uh, uh, checking in today. Proof. We see proof over there. My teeth. You know, elementary school teacher, Barbara Nelson, she's still checking up on me. See her over there. Thank you for watching Morning Update Show. Um, so, but, you know, a lot of people, right, so they hear you say like, oh, well, you know, so social housing and government dollars for housing and everything else. And people don't realize how much government subsidizes so many other things. You know, when you look at the BPA, the Bonneville Power Administration, that's all the dams that are on the Columbia River. 
A lot of those dams, of course, they provide electricity and cheap electricity for us here in Seattle, but they irrigate fields. You know what I'm saying? Like if if farmers actually had to pay for those massive government projects for irrigation, for all that great soil that's over there in eastern Washington, the cost of produce would be so much higher for everybody. Actually, if the if if people actually on that side actually paid the actual cost of water, everything would go through the roof. So there's 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 places people don't realize where where government is funding on everyday life here. Right. Because when you talk about housing, it breaks it down to an individual person and you're not looking at this collective. But collectively, man, all over the place, we see issues where where, where government has put resources that's brought the price down to be able to do something which benefits the masses. And, you know, I don't think that it's too far out, especially when when no one's talking about socializing the whole housing market. But they are talking about social, uh, you know, it's this social housing project and a, and a developer of the people and ideally for the people. So, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah. Go ahead. No, no. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. And I think it really uh, bodes well with the argument that when 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 there was this huge, you know, uh, issue of socialism and people don't realize how many socialism things we deal with. We're talking about public libraries. We talk about this all the time. I love how you brought that in because you're absolutely right. Even if we take a wider scope outside of housing, we would see that there are governmental subsidies happening all over the place. There is social this kind of idea of you know, socialist practices that are really like, hey, how do we have these open availability uh, for everyone, no matter what your income is? And people forget that the libraries are really a part of that. But there's so many other things that are a part of that as well. So I love how you bring that into this conversation. Yeah. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff. We're going to take a break right now. And when we come back, you know, Miss Thursday It's my favorite day of the week for so many different reasons. We're going to jump into Throwback Thursday with Stephanie Johnson Tolliver. You're watching the Morning Update show. When COVID first hit, I was very afraid. There was so much things that I had to keep inside because I didn't know where to place my feelings. Most of my information for COVID is from my own research. I'm a doctor in educational leadership. And when the FDA approved Pfizer, it helped me realize that the vaccination is healthy. We don't want to be left behind because we're not taking the vaccine, but we want to get as much information as possible so that we are putting ourselves in better hands and not at great risk. Hey there, it's Trey Holiday. And of course, Besa and I had to take a trip back to Market Street Shoes to grab some items. They always know what to show us. And let me tell you, we both spent quality time to be sure we collected some amazing additions to our wardrobes. They have some of the most unique bags, shoes, and accessories. I mean, the whole shebang. It's always a good time when I get to shop with my girl, Baker. Make sure you go check out Market Street Shoes, y'all, and you too can walk out with some dope gear. All right, welcome back to the Morning Update show. And like I said, Throwback Thursday, uh, it, this is this is amazing how this wall has all has all come together here. Um, a majority of these photos, the Al Smith collection that's over in Mohai. Mohai was gracious enough to license these photos for us here on the wall, as well as the Black Heritage Society of Washington State. And one of the things we wanted to do once we got the wall up was get Stephanie Johnson Tolliver uh, to come down and tell different stories of photos that are here on the wall and how they tie in to yesteryear and tie into today.
So this week, Stephanie kind of uplifts the story of beer halls in the Central District, especially with Metier Brewing and 23rd Avenue Brewery coming online this year. Hello, everyone. Hello, community. I am Stephanie Johnson Tolliver, and I am president at the Black Heritage Society of Washington State. It's Thursday. It's my favorite day of the week. It's Throwback Thursday. The image of the patrons at the beer parlor that was located between 20th and 22nd Avenue on Madison Street is a fabulous photo. It's that place where everybody wanted to know your name and you wanted to know theirs. This was the black hub of the Central District business zone. It was between 12th Avenue and 28th on Madison Street and went just a little bit north and just a little bit south of Madison to include a number of businesses. The Central District 1920s to 1940s was a hub of black business. Creative post-prohibition carryover in the CD um, and driven by some restrictive laws was kind of a holdout on hard liquor and cocktails. So beer was on tap and was a popular place the watering hole at 22nd and Madison. And just a little north on Madison Street, north of the watering hole, was Stalker's Barbershop. Early 1940s, and it was in the Green Book, and it also became Honeysuckle's pool room in the 40s and 50s. Ask somebody about Honeysuckle's. Across the street, and also in the Green Book, was the Madigua Grill, and next to the Mardi Gras Grill, Gideon's Pharmacy and Soda Fountain. Uh, we had an expansion of, of the music scene along Madison Street as well, where Dave Lewis became a very popular entertainer at the Birdland. Now, today, we return to the, the legacy of Black brewers to the Central District. Metier Brewing at East Cherry, yes. Founder of Metier, Woodenville, Rodney Hines and his partner Todd Harriet. They're bringing their new tap room to East Cherry Street. So look for Metier Brewing at East Cherry. There's also, and this is in the wind, that there also is a band of brothers who are bringing the 23rd Avenue Brewing to the corner of 23rd Avenue and South Jackson Street, late 2022. So belly up everybody, belly up to the bar, get a beer, um, it's back. If these walls could talk, you heard it here. Belly up. Belly up, <laughs> she said, I love that. She's so right, belly up. You know, uh, this history, oh, is something so telling, you know, of uh, the stories that my grandmother would share with me. So I love hearing these details from Stephanie Johnson Tolliver over at the Black Heritage Society. I'm gonna tell you right now, listening to that, 
my grandmother would sit up and talk about all of the spots. And these were like, not just like spots, but they were popping spots. I mean, you could see in those photos there. I mean, that whole counter was full of folks and the ideas that we had our own shops, we had our own businesses where we could go. And it was very much a, a, a telling of the community, right? Of that love of, of folks uh, that were there. I just get so excited hearing these stories because it really uh, depicts what you and I get to be in the presence of every single week uh, right there with that wall of Al Smith's collection. What an amazing time to be alive, to celebrate that a rich legacy in history uh, throughout the Black community. And just shout out to, to the Black Heritage Society and Stephanie Johnson Tolliver for uh, lending uh, us all of these stories, for sharing them with us. Because just listening to her, I was like, oh, my grandma would tell me about this. And now I have some visuals to go along with it. How dope is that? Yeah. Salman over there shaking his head. We're we going to go belly up. <laughs> and, and also a uh, big, big shout out to uh, Salman is, um, you know, he, he shot the segments there with Stephanie Johnson Tolliver. And also um, he was part of the shoot over there with um, at Medier Brewery with Rodney. And he shot everything over at 23rd Avenue Brewery. So, you know what I'm saying? He's He's been working it out and telling the story here. Uh, big shout out to Ruben on the edit on that. And yeah, like this is, you know, I'm a big history buff. So I'm always so excited whenever, whenever we do these stories, these throwback Thursdays. So, you know, buckle up everybody. We're intending to tell a lot. We got a lot of pictures on this wall. So we got, a, we got a lot of stories to tell. We're going to take a quick break right now. When we come back, we check in with Traveling Wild Black in Seattle. The loves Anthony and Marley as they head to Deception Pass. You're watching the Morning Update Show. As a non-binary Black femme, a lot of my identity is rooted in body. Once the vaccine was introduced, it was really difficult to think in terms of safety as well as autonomy. As a Black American, the relationship with government is very complicated. It's hard to trust. A lot of these conspiracies are really impacting people making a decision, especially with Black folks, to be clear about what we're doing. I think it's just a well-rounded conversation to see what's best for us. All right, welcome back to the Morning Update Show. I'm Mari Salisbury here in the Black Media Matters studios and my colleague Trey Holiday, home studio today. Yeah, home studio today. Hey, I'll be back there tomorrow, weather permitting. <laughs> <laughs> I, man, I know, I know that's right. That was nice and warm where you at. It's kind of <laughs> breezy down here. Um, so, you know, you, you were actually here. You interviewed them, the loves, Anthony and Marley Love, traveling while black in Seattle. Believe it or not, man, if they haven't crossed 100 episodes, they're really close to it. And and basically, the, the Marleys moved out here from St. Louis in 2019. And, you know, I, I, I what, what I call what they do is like the video green book for today. Right. And so they go to all these different places, not only here in Seattle, but really across the Northwest. And they rate it like for black folks. It's like, yo, is this a cool spot for black folks or not? Um, and this week we we're showing an episode of when they went to Deception Pass. Welcome to Traveling While Black in Seattle. 
Hey, what's up? I'm Anthony. This is my wife, Marley, and welcome to another episode of Traveling Wild Black in Seattle. Yes, welcome back, everyone. And as a brief reminder, our show is based on our experiences in and around Seattle. And we base those experiences off of how good of a drive it was, how much fun we had, and most importantly, how comfortable do we feel as black people visiting for the first time? If you've been following us for the last few weeks, you know we've been visiting places surrounded by water. For this episode, we're actually visiting a place that connects two islands, Deception Pass. Yes, and so we take a trip to Deception Pass State Park, and I'm really excited for you guys to see this episode. So as always, let us know what you think. Connecting Fildalgo and Whidbey Island are a pair of bridges known collectively as the Deception Pass Bridge, their name simply reflecting the strait they crossed. According to Wikipedia, on June 7, 1792, Joseph Whidbey, leading a group of sailors, a part of the Vancouver Expedition, were the first Europeans <clears throat> to find and map the pass. Legend has it that George Vancouver gave it the name Deception because it had misled him into thinking Whidbey Island was a peninsula. I tell you what, Joe, how about I name this peninsula Whidbey Peninsula? How about that? Cool. Oh yeah, boss. I did find a pass right there. So, I guess I got an island. <laughs> that pass misled me. The deception. And the dope looking bridges crossing the strait were open to travel on July 31st, 1935. Drive grade. So again, we took the drive from Seattle on our way to Whidbey Island. The drive was one hour and 20 minutes from downtown Seattle to the pass. And though it doubled our drive time to Whidbey, we knew the stunning views of Deception Pass would be worth it. Yes, the long ride wasn't bad at all. And the parking around the area was pretty accessible around the bridge the day of our visit. It is important to note that parking will cost unless you have a discovery pass. I think the parking fee was around 10 bucks. Light traffic, pretty cool views, and of course, the big payoff of views at the end. Like last time, for drive grade, we give a five out of five. Level of fun. The area is home of the Deception Pass State Park, so you can do a ton of things. Hike trails, camp, boat, but a usual TWB fashion. We just took a few pics and hit the beach. <laughs> Yes, but it does take a bit of a hike to get to the beach. Even though the trek got the heart working, the beautiful nature scenery still made the experience peaceful. Especially on the beach. As soon as I stepped foot onto the sand, I became instantly relaxed. We can see ourselves going back with a blanket and some snacks and just spending a day right there on the beach. The views were not just awesome from the ground. The Deception Pass Bridge also offers some extraordinary, literally breathtaking views that visitors can experience firsthand by walking out on the designated pedestrian walkways leading across the bridge. But your girl was too scared, y'all. Still, all in all, we had a great time and we are going to go back and experience the park again for a longer stay. For this quick trip, we give a 5 out of 5 for the level of fun. Comfortability for black people. 
On our visit, we actually saw a couple of black people and quite a few people of color. But it didn't matter because everyone seemed friendly. And we already told y'all how nature loves black people. Ha! Again, it was super peaceful and relaxing. This definitely seemed like an awesome place for black folk to visit and experience comfortably. As we were assuming the case would be for everybody, we will definitely be back to experience Exception Pass. Perhaps we'll bring you back with us. So, for comfortability for black people, we give Exception Pass a 5 out of 5. If you're a new or old Washington State resident and want to know more about the Discovery Pass, be sure to, to check out the description uh, for a link to the Washington State Park website. We hope you found this video to be helpful and entertaining. Be sure to check out all of our previous episodes. Yep, and be sure to subscribe and like our page on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. And as always, let us know if there's anywhere you would like us to go check out. Until next time, beautiful people, stay up, stay true, and do you. Deceptive. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, the Marleys get it in, huh? Yeah, they get it all the way in. I love these little trips, and I love the way that they break it down for everybody to understand. I mean, this is something that it's like exploring so much of what we have here. And as a Seattle light, there's so many things I have not even explored, Omari. So I love, you know, seeing it through the love's eyes. It's beautiful. Yo, and, and you know, so this is how it was back in the day. Of course, our, our native brothers and sisters already inhabited the area and was doing their own thing, right? But George Vancouver, when, when he came over here, you know, on his ship, it's like, you know, he just, he put all of his people on. Like William Puget was part of the, the joyous, was Puget Sound. It's like, what's up, man? We named the sound after me. You know what I'm saying? I got you. You know what I'm saying? And so, you know, it's Puget Sound. And I mean, it's it's real interesting how a lot of the, the areas here have its its modern day name based off of Vancouver's uh, exploration over here into this area. You know what I'm saying? We need we need to go somewhere. And, and you know, that's Trayonaville. <laughs> oh, Marty, <laughs> <laughs> Big old <I'm> highlands. <laughs> no, but, but good stuff. And man, you know, the 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 Marleys, man, what they're doing is real transformational in being able to to open up these spaces and show people, you know, I was fortunate enough as a kid and even as an adult, you know, I I get out and and seen so many parts of our state. Um, and seeing it as a kid and getting out of the city, getting over there to the Olympic Peninsula, getting over to eastern Washington, and even places like uh, Vantage when you're crossing the Columbia River on I-90 and you're like, wow, you know, getting out of the city and seeing things. And I, I really love what they said there. Remember, nature loves black people. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I agree. I think, um, it, it, you know, as an adult, I got to explore so much more of the state. And I'm just grateful that my parents kept us in programs that allowed me to explore outside of my area. Being able to like, it, you know, experience it, it with them and traveling while I'm Black, you're like, oh my gosh, yes. You know, we just have so much beauty here. It's a great reminder of all the things that we have right here in Washington State. And 
So many people will say like, you can try to travel and find it and you won't find it like you do here. Amazing parks and amazing sites of nature that I, I just didn't experience in other areas where I lived, Omari. Uh, you know, I know that different places have their own thing, but we here in Washington, we definitely have a great opportunity to explore the outdoors. I'm glad that they uh, are taking some time to see all these amazing sites we have. I'm telling you, there's some beautiful stuff. So this is great. Right. I also and like his uh his historical, you know, rendition. He did his reenactment, which you know, hey, kudos what, to you. That's <laughs> what I'm saying, man. Production value with the Marleys, you know. And you know it's great because you know they're always usually the outdoor. They do some indoor stuff, but man, a real special moment the other day when um the Black Heritage Society teamed up with the Washington State the museum down there in Tacoma because they have the Green Book exhibit going on and King County Metro. And they took one of the Black Lives Matter Metro buses and the, the Marleys were on the bus. They went from Seattle down there to the museum and you really were able to blend the the Green Book of yesteryear to the video Green Book of today. And we got Stephanie she's coming over there. What's the, ooh, that looks long. God, can you read that, Trey? Oh, yeah. At Black Heritage Society, we have great old photos of Edwin and Betty Pratt with friends at Deception Pass uh, as late as the 50s. Um, it looks like we'll share them digitally soon or check out Perspectives on Place exhibit uh, at Black Heritage Society with Mohai highlights, uh, where Mohai highlights a cool image from this collection. It opens on May 28th. Thanks so much, Stephanie. Yeah, Stephanie got it, man. That's what I'm saying. Hey, you, you know, we can't wait to get you back into the studio, Stephanie. Shaman's over there like, yeah, now he's seeing it, right? Because Shaman shot, shot it and he's seeing the end results. So we got, we got Stephanie back. We got to uh, film some more episodes of Throwback Thursday. Like I said, we got a short show today. Julia, Jesse, had a little bit something better to do, but we're going to yeah. take a break. We got a few programming notes. Um, you're watching the Morning Update Show. When the pandemic hit, it did affect me. As a barber, I had my own personal reasons why I didn't get vaccinated. At the time, I didn't check the actual source. I thought the vaccine was developed too fast, but I was talking to a doctor and he was telling me more about the vaccine and what it could do to protect us and our family. I wanted to get back to that once was, right? I do feel safe knowing that I am vaccinated. I just hope what I'm saying is reaching into people's heads to know that this is the best decision for all of us. Welcome back to the Morning Update Show. What's some of your favorite outdoor places in Washington State, Trey? Oh, or my goodness. You haven't been. Yeah, you know, I, I got to say, I really love uh, the amazing views up in Anacortes, which is, you know, really close to the Canadian border. But what you get to see is something that's just spectacular, honestly. Um, and it, it, it's been mind blowing being able to go up there. There's some also some really cool areas that have a lot of rural land. Um, but uh, I, I will say that my car, I bought my car in Bremerton. And so, you know this, Omari, when I go to get my oil changes, I go all the way up to Bremerton and that drive is so serene. Uh, I took it last time with my 16 year old son, Amiri, and he was just like, wow, mom, you know, like we, you know, we're around beautiful nature. And I was like, we really are. So I would say that, you know, that drive uh, on 16 going up to Bremerton is just, it, it's a, it's, I don't know. It's serene for me. I love it. You get up to that place and there's the water there. So I, I, I love it. You know, amazing. 
Yeah, me I, as a kid went to Hurricane Ridge. That's over there in the Olympic Peninsula as well. And then anywhere, almost anywhere along the Columbia and, you know, uh, the Columbia River. Yeah. And as somebody, I've always been intrigued by like dams and stuff like, you know, I'm a, I'm a geologist. I went to school for it, a degree in geology. And so you follow the Columbia River, especially when it's bordering there, the state of Oregon. You see all these dams that are there, you know, because the dams, are, it's all these vantage points that are along the way. And then you might pop into Mary Hill Museum down there. Like, you know, so I like following the river, following the Columbia all through the state of Washington because it's so scenic. That's there. Really encourage people. Remember, nature loves black people. <laughs> <laughs> I all love right. that. So true. That's it. We got a few programming notes here. First of all, tonight, of course, seven o'clock, Clapback Culture with Julia Jesse and Mike Davis. That's at seven o'clock and nine o'clock is the factors the factors tv nine o'clock ronald and ronnell they were in the studio last night great 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 show i wish you would brought this up. we're gonna talk about this another time but they, they also they were talking more about you know that perception of corny and square and everything i mean well, actually people tune in tonight and maybe we'll catch up uh, on a few clips of that next week um tomorrow i know we don't have everybody in here but tomorrow we have who we got up first Go ahead, press the button. There you go. The world famous DJ Topspin, a.k.a. Blindiana Jones, is going to be in the building. Also, Black Stacks. Black Stacks is going to be in the building. Man, it's a big show lined up. And that's not it, right, Trey? Yeah, I mean, that's what uh, I'm excited because we want to talk a little bit more about Two Trains Running, uh, the play that is hitting acts on stage, you guys. Um, and so I'm so excited to have amazing artists in the building. You know, we got a lot of great things to follow up with, with Black Stacks and our guy, DJ Topspin, one of our first DJs on the Morning Update show. Uh, we, we just got so much to discuss. Uh, he just came off doing some big things. So I can't wait to dive in with everyone tomorrow. All right. Good stuff. We're getting ready to pack it in early today, Trey Holiday. Any last words? Before I go with my normal message, I got to send a special shout out to my blood brother, my little brother, Marlo, Marlon Robinson. That is his song, Jackson Jazz, that you guys hear at the beginning of the Factors TV show. Huge shout out to the twins, Ronald and Ronnell, for utilizing that song as their intro music to the Factors TV. I also want to say, as we were talking about all of this amazing uh, businesses and, and, and breweries and beer hubs uh, along Madison Avenue, we also know that Jackson was known for its jazz. So my brother gives his kudos in his way through hip hop to all of that amazing legacy culture and vibrancy that was happening happening along Jackson with regard to music. So as I heard it there in the commercial, I said, I got to give my bro a shout out. I uh, love that he is utilizing his talent in that way. And I love that it's showcased on the Factors TV. And of course, for me, you guys, see yourself as a part of the solution, even if it's just that right there by, you know, ensuring that culture and heritage and certain acts of preservation are happening in music, as my brother did there with Jackson Jazz. You guys can find him at Marlo Rollo um, on Instagram. I'm sure he has all his music on all of the different channels and stations, too. But I had to make that plug because I think there's all kind of ways that we all see ourselves as a part of the solution. And you guys be encouraged, be inspired. Hop in there and bring your solutions to the table. 
All right. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, again, encouraging everybody. Seven o'clock tonight. Clapback culture. Nine o'clock tonight. The factors. And that's a great breakdown there of that intro. You know, people are always asking where the intro music comes from. So thank you for for breaking that down and uplifting Marlo. Uh, man, today is my last day of the week. Can you tell how excited I am? <laughs> thank God it's Thursday. Um, and so I'll be back on, on Monday. Tomorrow, make sure you tune in. Like I said, exciting lineup for Feel Good Friday. Uh, as usual, we're going to leave you with a little bit of hope from Shana Shepard. And on that note, want to remind you, go forward in your purpose. Go forward in your humanity until tomorrow at 11 a.m. Peace. Mm -hmm. What do I see through a lens of fear? A thousand little steps to go. What do I fear after all these years? Lord knows I don't even know. I've been running on the edge of a sundial, sleeping in the shadow. I've been begging you to see me, then hiding beyond the unreachable. Looking now left on a right-hand turn Just trying to make a deal The lazy shoes of love is a love that turn That's the kind of food that heals I've been searching for the end of an era Waiting to be ready The world is bigger than a moment Be steady, that's how you can feel it's real But I feel naked
Media produces culturally relevant content for Black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.